Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America. We live in Israel. And we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode, we'll host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land. It's uh, Ben and Dan coming at you live this week with another episode of Juanced. Dan, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing all right. A little bit, uh, a little bit strange coming off of a week where, uh, strangely enough, I mean, pretty uneventful for uh, <laughs> for this time of of the year, November. Uh, what are we on? Uh, November twenty second. Deep I'm, into. Uh, I'm okay with it after the American elections and after everything COVID related. Right. And just you know, let's give us a week with uh, to catch up on things. I know you it's know? like before we get into this, like, like what are we going to talk about to share during the banter parts? Like what 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 did <laughs> you do last week? Nothing. What do you Nothing. do? Nothing. All right, cool. That doesn't happen. Uh, but here we are, and uh, we got a we got a really interesting and great one for you today. Uh, I'll let Dan do the introduction since he's a little bit more vested in it than I am. But uh, without further ado, Dan, introduce our guest today, Sar Wilf. Yeah, so we're super excited to have uh, what we call serial entrepreneur investor, and I'm going to add mega genius, maverick mega genius. I know Sar Wilf. Um, so over the course of Sar's career, he has founded several tech ventures uh, going back to the 90s, uh, most notably among them Fraud Sciences, which he sold to PayPal for a little bit of money. Um, he has also uh, co-founded and invested in a number of major uh, other firms, some of which he's still involved with. Point Grab, uh, Zygo, I don't know how to pronounce that. Zygo. Uh, Zygo, okay. <laughs> Root Claim. Uh, which we're going to talk about today, Moon Active, and a few others that will come up. He's also funded the Brain Preservation Fund, which sounds terrifying and fascinating at the time, and which has uh, sparked the first technique that can completely preserve an entire human brain for long-term storage. Sal, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You, you missed the most important part that's not in your bio. What's that? It's like a semi-professional poker player. Are you really? Uh, um, yeah, I guess so. I like uh, that's what I like to do in my vacations. Uh, haven't right. haven't got into it for uh, like a year now, but that was something fun to do in the old world. Online or in person? I don't like online. Just uh, I would uh, I usually just travel to big tournaments in Europe. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, so feel like if when I wanted to relax from all the mental work, I'd go and do poker. <laughs> I have uh, 14 a, hours a day. I have a doppelganger out there in the world who also is supposedly good at professional poker. And uh, everywhere I travel, people stop and say, oh, my God, you look just like Dan Bilzerian. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> have you ever run across him in uh, one of your poker tournaments? Uh, no, he's only in Vegas, and I don't, I don't go there too much. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. So uh, we wanted to do this in person, but uh, COVID and everyone's being careful. I've got a little bit of the cold. Your wife's got a cold. I hope she's feeling better. And uh, we just want to be careful that uh, nobody COVIDs the other person. Nobody gets the vid. 
Benny, you're screwed. I, I, I can't help it. You're sitting next to me. I've sneezed at least twice on the show. So, uh, sorry, you're doing some crazy things these days. What What are you up to? I know you're involved in like a hundred different companies. What's uh, What's taking up most of your time these days? So these days, it's mostly around uh, COVID. Uh, trying to uh, see how I can help, what I can, uh, can, what kind of projects I can start, what I can finance to maybe close gaps that uh, you know governments and the free market are not well equipped to to do. Uh, I think the most important thing is uh, I'm funding a clinical trial on a therapeutic that is basically, it's based on uh, nutritional supplements. So that's uh, that's uh, that's an area that is um, very much neglected because there are no interests in promoting right. these kind of uh, treatments. And there are some great stuff out there. And uh, what, what kind of treatments? What are we talking about here? So um, let me go back. So basically, when you have uh, when you have a new virus right coming out to the world, um, what's the first thing you think to do? I, mean, I think it's very obvious. Try to see what do we have that works against the most similar viruses we already know. Right. Uh, and this virus, it, it has uh, it has a lot of cousins that have been running around in humans for a while. Uh, some of them cause uh, the common cold, which you now have. <laughs> and I don't know if you have a coronavirus, but uh, that, there are two two types of viruses that cause common cold. You may you may have a, a coronavirus now. And uh, what are the two viruses that cause the common cold. The other one is called rhinovirus. Rhinovirus. Okay. Rhinovirus. Who knows? Yeah. Um, right. So, uh, so there's been a lot of research into common cold. There's not a lot of um, money in curing common cold because you know it's not like cancer. But it's, it causes a lot of damage. So governments finance uh, research into common cold and uh, in academia, and there's a lot of information on what can can work. And that's um, I, I think that's the most obvious example because you probably heard like a hundred times in your life that there's no cure for the common cold, or that uh, you know if you if you leave it untreated, it, it takes seven days. But if you treat it, it uh, it's cured in a week. So, like, it's this, <laughs> it's a common saying that this, everyone knows there's no cure for the common cold. But that's that's completely untrue. There's like chicken soup. We know there's a cure. Ah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, there's there's like serious stuff. There's stuff that really works. Like what? Um, but there's like no connection between all the research and and doctors. Doctors are not aware of the research. They don't recommend it to customers, and uh, it's only people um, having to find it. Uh, out by themselves. So the stuff that works on uh, common cold is uh, there's uh, zinc lozenges. That's uh, I take a zinc every day. So zinc, if you take zinc as a tablet, that's mm-hmm. that has its advantages. That has nothing to do with the common cold. So zinc lozenges. So you need to actually have the zinc uh, ions run around in your um, uh, in your mouth and nasal cavities. Um, you have um, vitamin D has been known to be uh, effective in preventing uh, colds. Um, you have um, elderberry. That's a kind of a, it's, it's a kind of berry that has uh, it is effective against a few uh, few viruses. Um, garlic uh, could be effective. So all of these, all of these, they have clinical trials that have shown high high efficacy, but very few people uh, know about it. And there's also another problem that is uh, because these are unregulated unregul- uh, treatments. So anyone can just sell what they want. So if you go now and look for zinc lozenge online, you will get around a hundred products. Mm-hmm. There is only one 
product in the world that actually works, that actually went through the research and built the zinc lozenges in the way that uh, the research says. All the rest, just they don't, they don't do anything. Are you, wait, so, so wait, hold on. Are you allowed to tell us which this one? one. <laughs> which one, which one? It's this one. I have, I have no connection with the company, just... Uh, so, you know, so, I, want to understand, I want to understand something because I'm, I'm life I'm, extension. Zinc I'm out here yeah. trying to figure out what I can do to try to help yeah. myself. And, and, you know, we can talk about how all of the governments of the world are basically talking about shutting down, go inside your house, lock down and not not like what are the things that you can do to boost your immune system, which I think is a major problem. You know, when we're talking about preventative things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, a couple months, I don't know how many months ago, maybe six months ago, you know, people started talking about vitamin D here and there. And I, I was early on that train of like, okay, I, I should probably start taking vitamin D. It doesn't bother myself. I got myself, you know, I went through all kinds of blood tests. It turned out I'd have great vitamin D levels, but like, what the hell? I'll take vitamin D. Um, how much do you have? Uh, I, I can't tell you offhand. But okay, okay. I, I can say right now that I'm taking four to 5,000 IBUs a day, um, which you're going to tell me is not enough. No, no, that's that's uh, that good? that's that's high. Yeah, okay. Uh, four t- four thousand is the is the upper uh, recommended limit. Okay, um, but when it comes to zinc, uh, I don't even remember how it happened. I think someone just threw it at me, like you should probably take zinc too. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, someone I trusted. My, da- uh, my dad's been pushing zinc for years. But now, but now you're telling me zinc is not zinc. Not all zincs are created equal. <laughs> yes. So what what is? I mean, why? Why? I mean, isn't isn't zinc- okay? So, so basically, okay. So there is zinc that you need um, in your body as a general uh, a nutrient. It's mm-hmm. good to have zinc. Awesome. Uh, there is also research that shows that uh, zinc deficiency is associated with uh, uh, more severe COVID nineteen outcomes. It's good to have uh, sufficient zinc levels. But there's specifically a lot of research about zinc lozenges. That is about releasing a lot of zinc ions in uh, the mouth. Uh, and that basically uh, brings the zinc concentration very high in the areas where the viruses uh, do most of the multiplying. Um, so that's, that, these are not levels you can reach by swallowing. It's only by actually having zinc directly interact in your mouth. So the problem is it's very easy to, uh, to bind the zinc ions. Okay, so you, have, you take the zinc salt, the zinc, uh, when it's, when it's uh, solid, it's a salt. You dissolve it in your mouth, and then the ions uh, come out. The problem is these ions are very easy to to reattach to other substances. And basically, 99 of the 100 products out there, they all contain other um, um, substances that that bind to zinc ions. So basically, they just release the ion and immediately bind it again, and then you don't feel it doesn't have any effect. And there's a reason to do it because zinc doesn't taste good. So they, 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 they try to see, okay, what can we do to make it taste better? Okay, we see this, uh, say, citric acid. Citric acid makes it taste better. But the reason it tastes one, better is because you don't feel the zinc ions. And, that, and, that's, that, why, and that's why you see it coupled with vitamin C. Um, no, no, that, that's, okay. uh, that, that has nothing to do. No, that, that has nothing to do. I, I think uh, it's probably not a good idea to have vitamin C and zinc at the same product. Um, there are also some sugars that bind to zinc. So there's only one company that did, uh, did the actual work of building zinc lozenges uh, the correct way. And they're very effective against the common cold. And there's good reason to think they will be effective against uh, COVID-19, at least at uh, early stages when, when it's still concentrated in the upper respiratory tract. Now, now you're not you're not a doctor, a medical. <laughs> no, you're not a medical. No, no. You're not a biologist. You're not a chemist. You're not a biochemist or any of no, the, no. the medical professions, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, no, no. What, what I'm good at is uh, in uh, in analyzing data and in identifying people who who uh, are good at their at their job. Okay, so so how did you get? Yeah, how did you get into COVID, for example, or some of these other uh, things that you, these public challenges that you're you're testing and that you're examining? All right. So, um, so specific, specifically for COVID, I think a lot of people try to think how can how could they help out. Um, so I try to use uh, what I'm good at, which is uh, you know, analyzing data. And I, I pretty quickly identified the people who are very good at understanding this disease. Uh, ran into this guy called uh, Dr. Chris Masterjohn. Uh, and he's, he's very strong in analyzing a lot of uh, research and understanding what's uh, bullshit, and, uh, just giving recommendations that make, make good sense. So um, I basically took everything uh, uh, he found out, did some uh, did some verification on my on my own, and basically built from that a protocol that we will be doing in the clinical trial. Uh, and he was he he was uh, doing a lot of uh, coming up with very good uh, ideas early on. So I don't know if you remember, like early in the disease around March, there was the hydroxychloroquine yeah, yeah. Uh, craze. So he immediately said that doesn't make too much sense. He looked into the Data. He looked into the trials. They were not well uh, structured. He said this. This is not something that uh, is good. And he said there's like ten other things that make a lot of sense. We have good trials on them. We have a good um, rationale how they would work. This is what we should be trying. And there's just there's just no there's a disconnect. There's a, no body in the world that actually takes the responsibility of let's find out what's the best we know so far. Let's start uh, from this. We for some reason, the way it's structured is we have to start from zero. We can't we can't use what we already know. We have to rely on uh, drugs that are that have financial interests behind them. Why, why companies... do you think? Why do you think it is that? I mean, I'm going to say like it. You know, cynically, I would say that it's because of the, because of money. But like, why? You know, here we are. The entire world's economy is basically on hold or or in various stages of hold. You would think that in such a such a you know, situation that there'd be a impetus for out of the box thinking. And, you know, let's try new ideas or at least not uh, ban people that want to come up with new ideas and, and kind of push them further down the totem pole of, of being able to get the word out. You know, wh- why is that the way it is? Um, it's very hard to to do good analysis. Mm-hmm. OK, so so just like Chris, there's probably a thousand people just spewing all kind of recommendations and they look the same as him. there's like, there's no way you can tell the difference unless you go deep into the data and you see uh, what kind of work is done uh, behind it. So it's very hard to understand the, what's true and what's not. Um, and the way it works today is that uh, the government or the hospitals, they basically rely on the private market to do, uh, to put the money into the research, to take the responsibility, which is, mostly fine in many cases it's it's not that bad they they have a financial interest they will invest in uh research and uh, clinical trials and they will provide they will take the responsibility they, they will be the ones claiming making the big claims this is the new cure this is what works if the, if they're wrong they suffer but they get but they also have a, a high upside okay so they they have an incentive to take the risk but if it's just some uh some random researcher um he doesn't have the resources to to promote it. He doesn't have the resources to to take responsibility for it, and it's just very easy for everyone to just uh, dismiss everyone. Everyone is 
saying this will work, this will work. You can't say who's uh, you can't say who's right. We'll just have to wait for uh, industry to provide the uh, the results in the uh, in the classical way. Do you, do you think there's do you think there's been some uh, seriously missed opportunities? Do you think there's something that a, a major government or major company could have done months ago um, to get us to to put us on the other side of this? And to um, save lives. And to save so, lives. And, and save yeah, lives. of course, of course. So, so basically, there are about 10 substances, all of them recognized as safe, all of them being used by people for decades, all of them having a good history of uh, being effective against uh, similar viruses, uh, all of them, or most of them, uh, working by biological mechanisms that are known to be used by SARS-CoV-2 as well, by this virus. It's like each one of them by themselves is probably better than 50% that they will work. You, there's like, what you need to do is the, the minute we heard about these new viruses, what you need to do is take all these 10 substances, put them into clinical trials, uh, figure out which one is working. And within a month you have, uh, uh, very likely you have a cure. A cure? Um, sorry? A cure? It's not a vaccine. It's, well, it's a, it's either a cure or a prophylaxis. So you had to take it and you... Uh, you won't catch the virus, or you had to take it early on after you catch it, and you won't uh, you won't suffer too much. So, you happen to recall them uh, offhand? You mentioned vitamin D. Do you, do you happen to recall some of the other ones? Yeah. So the so there uh, so vitamin D is the one that uh, has the most uh, information now relating to its efficacy against COVID nineteen. Uh, zinc has good information, has a lot, has excellent information uh, for similar viruses, but also for uh, this virus. It has some good uh, research. Again, zinc lozenge is probably the preferred way. Uh, so we mentioned elderberry. Elderberry is actually very interesting. Elderberry is known to be effective against a coronavirus called uh, NL63. That's the only other coronavirus that uh, that is common in humans and binds to the ACE2 receptor. That's the same receptor used by the current virus. And we know elderberry also binds to ACE2. So we know there is a, a biological, biological mechanism that is effective against a coronavirus that uses the same mechanism as uh, as this virus. Again, mm-hmm. almost zero clinical trials on it. Uh, what else did we say? So um, there is uh, coenzyme Q10. Uh, that is uh, that's actually, that was never known to be effective, but uh, that was in a very interesting study done, done here uh, in Israel by Clalit. So they looked into all the purchases made by people in their pharmacies. Uh, and what were the 30 days later, what were the COVID outcomes if they got infected? Interesting. Uh, and, and CoQ10 was CoQ10 actually the... Is joint health, isn't it? Uh, it has a lot of... It's a, it's a very uh, common molecule and it's in, it's okay. in our mitochondria. It does, it's responsible for a lot of things, but um, they found CoQ10 to be the most effective in preventing... Um, uh, severe COVID-19 outcomes. So that's, that's, for example, another thing that, that could have been done very early and uh, just just look at what, look at the data, try to, using data science tools, try to see what uh, what prevents uh, bad COVID-19 outcomes. Again, a very, very good, strong uh, uh, research done by, by Dr. Ariel Israel, but hardly any, hardly got any notice. Um, so that's another one. Uh, vitamin K2 uh, also was, uh, so uh, K2 deficiency has been associated with uh, more severe COVID uh, outcomes. Um, garlic is probably effective in 
uh, in some ways. Well, I'm good um, to know. I probably <laughs> drop a clove of garlic in every dish. <laughs> <I make. laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and a bunch, a bunch of other stuff. Only to ah, quercetin probably uh, another good, uh, good thing to take. So there are about ten, th- ten substances, ten nutrients that are very low risk, and each one of them by themselves has a good probability of being uh, somewhat effective. And, and when we talk about somewhat effective, you know, the outcome here would be that there would be far less serious cases of or life-threatening cases of COVID, and that if you were to, uh, you know, prophylactic or if you were to, um, you know, come down with the virus, you would, you would, you know, have a mild case of it. Um, we're not talking yeah. about preventing the spread of the virus or eradicating the virus. Yeah, it's basically bringing it to a seasonal flu level. Right. Um, but in terms of eradicating the virus, we're talking about, you know, you would need a, a vaccine of some kind to, you know, neutralize uh, the spread of a virus. So with these therapeutics that we're talking about, would they would they essentially uh, make a vaccine process irrelevant or would this be in addition to what the world is already doing to discover a vaccine? So if there was um, effective use of these nutrients, I think a vaccine would not be relevant. So because two things, one is it becomes uh, just uh, one of many cold or flu viruses we have around and it's, it's fine. Um, the other thing is that there's a good reason to believe that many of them will also reduce the viral load, which would mean people would be less infectious. So if you, if you manage to use them on scale and you have a big pr- percent of the population using them, then probably you would have the uh, reproductive factor go beyond, be, uh, below one. And if, if you do that for a while, then you eradicate the virus. Yeah. Interesting. But again, I mean, here, here we are and the world's not doing this. We're all like sitting around waiting for this vaccine to happen for, you know, to get back to uh, a semblance of, of normal, whatever that could be, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like, frustrating. It's, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Uh, yep. Uh, okay, so let's that is, say that like, is correct. Here we are. We're on this path. The world has gone, you know, the route of the of the vaccine. Um, we can expect them to be out in one form or another sometime during 2021. I think that for those out there that think that the vaccine will be the end of the virus, I think that they're going to be disappointed to find out that it doesn't work that way and it is a longer process than that. But here we are, and, and the vaccines are are coming. Should we be concerned about the vaccine? Um, I have I have no. Uh specific opinions on that so i didn't research it good well enough i I want to before i want to take a giant step back and get into the platform you're using to to reach all these uh conclusions um which is i think going to lead us down a whole different path you you teased on the uh promo that that you shared for the show that you you and root claim uh one of your companies um has know with high probability and you'll tell us what that means where the vec where the virus came from where the COVID nineteen virus came from, I've kind yeah, of sure. So you, so you want waiting to ask this? Well, I, think, I, th- I think he has to explain root claim before. Should, do you want to do root claim first, or do you want to get into? Uh... I, I think it makes more sense to explain what root claim is first, yeah. yeah, before explaining how how it can reach Absolutely. a so we drop the, the conclusion that no one else can. These people are sitting on their edge, and uh, now we'll, we'll get into root claim, and then we'll come back to uh, we'll, okay COVID nineteen. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so root claim is. Uh, is an attempt to solve one of the uh, common problems that humans have. We look at evidence, we look at information, and different people reach different conclusions based on the same information. Could be very intelligent people, they look at it, and they confidently reach uh, different conclusions. And that basically means that 
the human brain is has something wrong with it. It's uh, it 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 is it is able to reach confident conclusions where that confidence is not uh, justified. So basically, we try to uh, figure out uh, why this happens. Uh, well, it's, uh, a lot of people before us reach us why this happened, but we try to f- see if we can find a better solution to that. And a l- after a lot of experimenting, uh, we built a model and a methodology that is uh, based in probability theory. So that, that is a branch of mathematics that deals with uh, uh, uncertainty. So who's, who's so, we? You say we? At Rootling. So it's a... This, this is a this is a project that's been running for a while now. It's uh, uh, it's mostly a, a nonprofit uh, company, so it's very hard to make uh, to make money from just distributing uh, truth. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but uh, but I think it's something that's uh, it's important. So you can make a lot uh, of money in lies. <laughs> so this is <laughs> not so much. This is like a passion. No, book. no, no. It's also in catching lies, not ah, only right. in lying myself, right? So, Ruklim uh, is, is it an Israeli organization? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the premise is that human beings come into decision making or you know trying to understand the truth or facts with a certain amount of bias. For, for example, I might be a. Let's look at the you know the. the what comes to mind immediately is the polarization in the world or in the United States. So I might look at an, an, a situation like the election and I might say, if I'm a uh, Trump supporter, I might say there's clear uh, examples of election fraud. You know, there's no possible way. And, and anything that you tell me that's going to be, you know, no, the election was fair and square. It's going to be, no, you would say that because you're, you know, uh, uh, you know, bleeding heart liberal. That's, that's what you believe. And the, and the opposite would be true as well, that if they're, are any cases of election fraud, which by and large there probably are because you're talking about an election of you know in a nation. Oh, oh you're being you're being way too easy on yourself. And, uh, yeah, what you, what you what you should go to is Russiagate. So oh, you well. had you had a bunch of uh, <laughs> a big bunch of the American uh, Democrats uh, believing that there was a huge election fraud coordinated by Russia uh, in 2016, and right. that does not seem to be the case. Maybe there was some minor interference, but nothing uh, at what was claimed to be. So, uh, so you, you, you don't need to try to balance it uh, artificially. It's right. Both it, sides it made pretty pretty silly claims. So, uh, yeah. And the truth obviously is is you know every there's a truth always. You know the the, the universe exists. There's truth, and there's mm-hmm. what's happened or what will happen, and there's there's everything else. So. Yeah. Root claim attempts to discover or point towards the truth by not entertaining our monkey brain human biases in the decision making problem. Monkey brain, I love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, so basically, if we look, there's there's a bunch of biases we have when we deal with uncertainty. I'll give the most simple example that um, some people may already know, but it's, uh, it's it's the easiest to explain. So you go, um, you have an HIV test. HIV test is 99% accurate. That means that one in 100 cases, it will flip the result from yes to no or from no to yes. Positive, negative to negative, positive. Okay, we take a person randomly from the crowd. We administer the test. The test comes out positive. The question is, how likely is this person to be actually HIV positive? Now, um, people universally, if they haven't studied probability or heard this uh, riddle before, always will always say it is 99% accurate uh, that this person has 
uh, HIV because it's a 99% accurate test. Uh, the bug here is that uh, we don't take into consideration the prior probability that this person is HIV positive. So only one in 200 people, depends on the population, but let's say globally one in 200 people are actually HIV positive. So that means that when we take someone in random, so there is a higher probability that he is a negative that came out positive than a positive that came out positive, okay? Because a negative that came out positive is 199 out of 200. And around two of these will be, uh, two of these will be, will come out positive, positive, right? Two out of 200 will come out positive by mistake. And only one of those 200 will actually be positive for real. Okay, so for each two positive, we have two false positives. Okay, so even after the test, this person is more likely to be negative. Okay, so this is a, this is a very common bias we all have. Even after we hear it, we will constantly uh, make this mistake. It will actually happen. My, my brain is doing gymnastics to try to understand what you said right now. <laughs> Your monkey brain. Uh, monkey brain. Do, you, do you want to explain it uh, in more detail? Or is, is it enough to just... Uh, it, it's okay for now. Leave it at this. Okay, okay. So examples, and I'll have to try to wrap my head around it. Yeah, but basically, uh, to put it simply, if, uh, you know... Um, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So, if, okay, if you if you want to make the claim that this is the one in two hundred people that is uh, HIV positive, uh, a test that is one in one hundred times uh, wrong is not good enough. You need you need better evidence. That's the bottom line, and that is something that's going to happen almost to anyone in their life at some point. What they will do is they go to the doctor and they they will get a test, maybe a periodic test, maybe a test for for some unrelated disease. And they will get a result that they have uh, something else, uh, some suspicious finding that uh, points to another disease. Right. That, in most cases, will turn out to be false because you did not come initially suspe- suspecting this specific disease. Interesting. Okay? Because because it didn't in the prior it didn't have symptoms that correlate with this disease, and just out of the thousands of possible diseases, uh, one of them came out with uh, with an indication. Uh, that will usually be false. So, uh, so that's something that happens almost to everyone. At some point, they get some. They're very scared for a week or two that they got cancer or something. And yeah, uh, I, had that, a- I, I had that this summer. I went in for a, a regular uh, chest X-ray. Um, it was part of these tests that I was doing just to see, you know, what my levels were, and and you know, I had a little anxiety or whatnot. So I, I said, let's get an EKG. Let's do a chest X-ray. So they did that. And they came back and they said, yeah, there's a little bit of a suspicious thyroid. In this area going on, then you go home and it's like, okay, WebMD. Yeah, you start playing doctor. You start playing doctor, and it's like, okay, everything that you do is like either you have AIDS or you're going to die, or (laughs) something is 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 you know awful. Obviously, there's a central African parasite, right? Yeah, something. something. (laughs) So the doctor, I'm like, doctor, what's going on? The thyroid and this. He goes, don't worry about it. I go, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. It says right here on the chest X-ray result that you gave me suspicion about this and this. And I went and it was in like this medical language. And I went online. I looked for it. And it was like, no, you, you, you this is what's going on. He's like, that's not what's going on. Um, bottom line is, uh, you know, they conclusively, t- you know, checked and said, no, it, it's uh, that's not what it is. Um, but, yeah, you live on the edge like that for you know a couple of weeks because. Yeah. And if, and if it was uh, different, if, if you were already with symptoms of related to some thyroid problem and you would go to check your thyroid, and then they would see this exact same finding, the same evidence, mm-hmm. that would be a much stronger indication sure. that something is wrong. Okay, so that's that's one of the many uh, bugs we have in our mind. We don't know why it happens, but we all have it. 
there are plenty of other stuff like that where we deal with uncertainty wrongly. So what we did is we basically mapped these mistakes and we developed a methodology in which we take, um, take all the evidence and map it into a model, a probabilistic model, in a way that avoids these problems. We, we don't, we uh, take inputs from people only in the areas where the human mind works and with the, the areas where the human mind does not work, we use uh, mathematical models from probability theory, which are built for that. They, they know how to handle uncertainty better than humans. Well, so that's the idea. What are biases that... Uh, Sorry? What are some of the other common biases we have? Okay, so um, another one that's, uh, that's very important is we're very bad at estimating how a lot of weak evidence uh, can accumulate. Okay, so let's do another quick riddle. So yep. you have uh, uh, you have two boxes. In each of the boxes, you have this is the make Dan look stupid on the air show. No, dude, <laughs> that's fine. Okay, Making so you look boxes. human. Human. It's not human. stupid. It's it's all all humans have this. So uh, okay, so we have uh, two boxes, and the boxes we have balls, uh, and in one of the boxes there's uh, two third red balls and third blue. The other one, two-third blue, third red. Okay, so one is mostly red, one is mostly blue. You get one of the boxes, you don't know which one it is, and then you start pulling out uh, uh, balls. Okay, and just first, to be completely accurate, you look at one, you put it back, you shake and you take another one. Yeah. Okay, just for for those that are going to catch us on the specific wording. Okay, so you, you sample 50, 50 uh, balls from the box, and then you get uh, 30 red, 20 blue. Okay. 30 red, 20 blue, that's 60%. And now you try to estimate what's the probability that I had the mostly red box, okay? Again, uh, humans would usually go somewhere into the 60 to 70%. Some some would even say 50%, we can know, but actually it's 99.9%, okay? So a sample of 50 balls is strong enough that there's like zero probability that you you will get uh, 30 red if it's mostly blue. Okay, and then what you have here is uh, 50 very small pieces of evidence. Each one is very weak. Each one is only a two to one evidence, but the 50 of them together, even though even though only 60% of them go in one direction, that is enough to be very confident uh, which hypothesis is true. So that's another thing that's very strong. That's that's basically what makes uh, Rootling uh, reach high confidence in issues where people think it's unsolvable, it's a, it's a controversy we will never know, uh, is, is, this, is this, these cases. So where you can actually accumulate a lot of weak evidence that none of them is a smoking gun, and you can say, okay, this probably, this, this, you're reaching a very low probability that this uh, combination of evidence will appear under the other hypothesis. How does evidence get inputted into Rootlane? So this is manually. So um, it's, a, it's a methodology that is built in a way that's designed to make sure nothing is, uh, no biases are created. We don't neglect evidence. Uh, all the, we take into account all the dependencies and all, we try to use uh, statistics as much as possible to estimate probabilities and not use our common sense because our common sense will sometimes be very biased on what, on estimating the probability of some event that we haven't encountered before. So there's a methodology on how you build, how you collect all the information, how you make sure you're not biased. Everything is open. So if people uh, find bugs, they can point them out. And then and then you input all these into the model and the model gives you the, the final probability of each hypothesis. 
Can you take us through one of your famous examples, one of the famous cases that Ruclaim has examined and reached a conclusion before we get to the... the yeah, sure. We're going to keep the teaser teasing here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so um, I think the one that's uh, that got the most attention because it, uh, it got a very uh, counter-mainstream result is uh, Syrian uh, chemical attacks. So this is something that is uh, in the West. Everyone knows the Syrian government has been attacking its own population with uh, serine or chlorine. Um, and there's like a lot of evidence. It's obvious. We have, we have videos, we have recordings, uh, we have chemical samples, we have uh, testimonies. It's all, it all points in the same direction. Um, but when you actually go through the evidence, check the reliability of sources, uh, check uh, alternative explanations for each uh, evidence, and most importantly, you check the evidence that no one, no one, in the, like no one in mainstream media actually exposes to the public. Uh, you get a very clear picture that these are uh, done by the Syrian opposition. So these are not the government; these are uh, these are the opposition uh, doing these attacks, uh, mostly in attempt to get the West um, to intervene on their behalf. So, like, so, the, like, the, wait, so like false flag operations? So um, there, there is one case which, which you can say is very clearly a false flag. Um, the rest could be false flag, could be just, uh, just an attack uh, of one uh, opposition faction on another opposition faction um, with the bonus of trying to pin it on the government. So, so I'm looking at the website right now. I'm looking at the Ruclaim website and there's two... Two cases here. What caused the chemical calamity in Khan Shekhun on April 4, mm-hmm. 2017? And who carried out the chemical attack in Ghouta on August 21, 2013? Which one are we talking about here or both of them? I'm more interested so, in one so, to the right of that, which was, was the Miss Universe 2015 mistake intentional. But we'll go back to that later. <laughs> I digress. Carry on. Sorry. So you're asking which one of those is the false flag? Is, is no, which one are you talking about now? Or are you talking about both of them? Oh, both of them. Both of them are uh, all, all, all chemical attacks, as far as we can tell, are uh, opposition. And I think the whole world opposition. basically believed, uh, if I recall, you know, what the news was discussing, that, that it was uh, Assad and his regime, correct? All, all the world, you mean the West, yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> all the world as far as we all consider world, it. Uh... <laughs> That we consider to be the real world. You're not egocentric <laughs> at all. About no, 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 no. But uh, I mean, for one of these, I was in the idea. For one of them, I was not. And you know, I'm, I'm talking based on what we were talking about in the idea. I'm talking about based yeah. on Western media, which we obviously tend to think is more credible than than Arab media sources. Um, you know, big newspapers versus blogs, etc. So, how how do you reach this kind of conclusion that? 83% in one case and 88% in the other case, um, probability, if I'm understanding this correctly, that these attacks were carried out by opposition forces and not by the Syrian army. Okay, so, so each one has its own uh, a different set of uh, evidence. Um, for uh, for Guta, I think the strongest uh, uh, points are, uh, uh, one, the direction uh, in which the rockets landed. So they they landed at the ground pointing north and initially everyone said oh look if you go on the map north you get uh, a syrian army base that's the source that was a uh, very pe- people were very happy with that for a while every time i say syria S- syria asks me 
what I want. <laughs> Go away. As long as we don't have rocket attacks on Alexa, I think you're going to be okay. Okay. Alaska, maybe. So Alexandria. I want to press. Okay. Yeah. So we have we have the rockets pointing north, and initially everyone was very happy with that. Uh, only after a month or so, it was becoming very clear these are very short range rockets. So uh, if you take the range, which is two kilometers north, and you, you land in a field that is under uh, um, opposition control. So that's that's one very strong piece of evidence that's, uh, that tilts very strong to uh, that hypothesis. Another one is uh, a bunch of uh, videos that leaked also around a month after the attack, uh, basically showing opposition fighters on the night of the attack in the location that matches the, the suspected launch location, wearing gas masks, launching the same types of rockets as landed over there. So that's, I always, I always like to refer to this video because every time you, uh, when people are, have a, have a disagreement and they, they sure the, the facts uh, support their case, they will say, even if you've, see a video of, uh, I don't know, this guy murdering the victim, you would not believe. You, right? know, you this wouldn't is, believe it, even if it's... Yeah, and this is exactly what we have here. We actually have uh, videos of the, of the attack, and it didn't, it didn't convince everyone. Is they it, just said, yeah, yeah, it's fake. That's it, without actually well, I mean, examining... I mean, we live in an era, we have now deep fake, okay, where you can literally make, make it seem pretty realistically that a, a well-known person is saying something in their own voice, and it's completely you know, uh, fabricated online. We had, I don't know if you, if you happen to catch it, um, we won't hold it against you if you didn't. Last week, we had a former FBI agent and we kind of also got into this whole discussion. Um, and we've done this a few times on the show because it's something we're both pretty um, concerned with, obsessed with. Um, how do you even have smart public debate? How do you have smart decision-making by those in our societies and governments who are supposed to have these responsibilities in an area where A, everyone's loading information online. Some of it is fake. Some of it is purposefully fake. And, and I mean, is, is this like your grandiose attempt to try to, to curb that? Um, I mean, what, what do we do with this? Because what is it? We, we, went, we both went to a Tom Friedman lecture last year, I believe it was. And he said a sentence that has stuck with me in that in this kind of day and age of, of where information is completely open, everyone can post wherever they want on the internet, uh, social media, et cetera. Uh, d- democracies are ungovernable. So he said. He said something to the extent of uh, bad dictatorships are, are you know, going to have an even harder time. Good, di- good dictatorships, smart, smart uh, autocrats are going to succeed and thrive in this kind of environment. And democracies are ungovernable. I mean, is this kind of maybe your um, chess move to to get ahead of that? Is that what you're trying to do here? Um, yeah. So first to clarify. The problem is that uh, uh, a lot of information is faked, uh, and specifically, specifically in the case of these videos, that was what we examined: is what is the probability that these could be faked in the way uh, they were, and it doesn't didn't seem very likely. Of course, nothing is a hundred percent, but it is it's definitely something that tilts the uh, the balance of probabilities to that side. <clears throat> in terms of um, yeah, how you deal this this is. Uh, this is this is a big problem. I mean, um, the whole idea of uh, democracy, as we in the West look at it, is that you had that you try to put a lot of uh, responsibility 
uh, on the electorate and the people to to make decisions, uh, and that depends on them actually having reliable information, and that seems to be undermined heavily lately. I must say it's not like uh, 30 years ago it was much better. It was just it was like just more uh, homogenous. So. So everyone was saying this. Uh, yeah, so people were everyone. all fed from the same information sources and they all believed uh, believed the same true things and the same false things. But and now it's more uh, polarized. Um, uh, yeah, but definitely, definitely this is uh, this is something that needs uh, we need to think is it heavily. Still, is it still the official position of the IDF and, and of Israel that the Syrian regime carried out those, those attacks? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 as far as I'm as, as they're concerned, I'm I'm a conspiracy theorist. So this is, wow. by the way, it's funny because the conspiracy is to say that the government is is conspiring against its people, right? So this is actually the, the, the conspiracy is to say that uh, the army is uh, is going and attacking its own people. But never mind. So uh, yeah, so this is definitely this is everyone uh, in the. Uh, in intelligence and in government will tell you, yeah, of course, we know, we have evidence. Uh, so none of that was presented. But uh, do you meet with them? Do you meet with intel- Israeli intelligence officials, think tanks? Not, not are they really, curious no. what you have to say? So, uh, well, sometimes I do. Ha- I do give um, lectures to all kinds of people that may be related to to those, not not directly. Um, in general, I think uh, we're still a long way. Of uh, convincing people that this is uh, uh, an effective method, um, I think we it's going to be easier uh, because we're starting to accumulate uh, accumulate uh, successes. So a lot of cases where we were initially on the minority have later become the the consensus, uh, and we never failed so far. So I think as we continue to gather. Uh, successes that it's going to be easier, uh, but so far it's a big problem. When because everyone, I, I've never met one person who who's actually uh, has has reasonable opinions on a lot of different subjects. All of us believe some weird stuff, and when they and when they come to to us and they see and they see uh, one thing that is directly contradicts what they already believe, they must must it's much easier for them to just um, dismiss the whole method than to actually say, okay, let's examine uh, what they say here and do I have a good reason to believe that? Well, that's, that's, that's humanity, right? I mean, we sure. like to put, we like to, we like to discount the fact that human beings are nuanced creatures and, and complex individuals with different feelings and different, uh, and different uh, realities. And we like putting people in a box, you know, this is, this person's this, they, is it this the box with the red balls or the blue balls? The, the blue ones, but obviously the blue ones. But look, you know, it's it, it, that's how it is. I mean, it's like you did one thing bad in your life that, uh, you know, in a lapse of judgment. So so now that gets out on social media and you're categorized as this and then well, you're canceled. Let's take it to a more, um, you know, commonplace occurrence here in our Israeli reality. How many Israelis do you see uh, refuse to watch CNN, which is considered like the global standard of news? OK, and, and I'd be glad to hear your opinion. What, what is the best news source, actually? Um, but, I've yet but, to find one consistently reliable news, news source. But, you know, we, we, always think, Nothing. we always think New York Times, CNN, um, BBC. And, and how many Israelis do you say, well, they get the Israel story wrong, so they must be garbage on everything, right? And, and that's kind of, you know, that we have a tendency, and that's exactly how it plays out here. 
So, I mean, yeah, you don't, there's not one single news source that you've seen yeah. that no. gets it more. Yeah, the, the, the main weakness of uh, New York Times and BBC and, and the likes is that they are very, um, they don't want to rock the boat. So they, they will uh, almost always go with uh, their governments when it comes to uh, foreign uh, relations stuff. Okay, so these, these, uh, these sources, they all went full, uh, all in behind the, behind the Syria attacks. Mm-hmm. They, they published all kinds of details, analysis of how they, they proved uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was the army and very biased, very, very unreliable uh, work is, there. Is this why people tend to then gravitate towards the news sources that just confirm what they want to think? I think Fox I think uh, I, I don't think you need a reason for that. No. Uh, just <laughs> you you always want to hear what you already believe. So it doesn't matter how uh, uh, what are the problems with others. I, I would love to see that like root claim get a weekly corner on like some major news show and you know be tasked with uh, whatever's happening on the world stage. That'd be awesome. And, okay, I mean we, we gotta get yeah. So so that's the issue. That's. Um, to do that, this news source would have to first admit that they've been terribly wrong on a few things in the past. So that could be, for every news source, it will be something else, but that, that's something they'll have to do first, and that's going to be very costly for them. What we are trying to do to try to steer the, how do you say steer the what? Rock the boat? No, steer no. The ship. Steer the ship, yeah. Steer okay. Ship. Is to, um, so we're offering uh, $100,000 challenge to people who think our analysis are wrong and are willing to bet against us a hundred thousand uh, dollar on a debate on a judge debate on that has anyone so, up on that yeah so we, so we uh it, we started offering it for syria maybe two years ago all the people who are very confident uh these people are crazy it's obvious we have all the evidence none of them are willing to even uh consider it uh we did the same for uh vitamin d uh, like a month ago. So uh, we're claiming vitamin D is currently the most effective uh, therapeutic we have. Uh, we're willing to to bet on that and see like in 18 months if the consensus moves in our direction or not. Again, no one uh, uh, no one willing. Actually, I saw someone interested. In, I need to check check, uh, check how serious he is. But uh, yeah, we, we sometimes get people who say, yeah, I want to bet. But then when you actually uh, actually go into the details they actually realize they think exactly like you and they're just trying to find some way to game the has, game the bet has there been any anything that you've been really surprised by uh, yeah so there's the israeli murder case of the irada which was uh it's very famous uh for israelis there's also there's also a, a netflix uh movie on it so, uh, so called the shadow of truth for non-Israeli read uh, listeners, do you want to just... Uh, yeah, sure. So probably the, the most famous uh, Israeli murder case, uh, a girl murdered in inside the bathroom, in toilets of her school. Um, just found her, found her dead inside the uh, stab with a, skin, with a uh, knife. Um, and... Uh, no, no motive. No one knows how it happened. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, and within a month, they uh, they latched on the janitor, got him to confess, um, and they and he's to this day. That's already what 
It was probably 10 years ago. More. For, 14 years? years uh, he's in jail. And yeah, and, and this case is, is he's very clearly. So I, I, when we started looking at it, I was sure I, I had a lot of trust in judicial system. Uh, it was examined three times by judges, always reaching the same conclusion. So I think all of us were expecting this would be this would be the result, but he's uh, like he's obviously not uh, not the murderer. It's, uh, there's like based on what? Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff there. Some of the things is that all the evidence that um, supposedly uh, convicts him it's uh, it's very weak when you go into it and you examine what it is actually behind it. Uh, another thing is that confessions are very weak statistically. So if you look at the statistics of confessions, especially in these kind of cases, it's, it's almost meaningless. So you can, you can get almost anyone in this situation to confess. So basically doesn't, doesn't really differentiate between guilty and uh, innocent people. There's something very interesting about which information. So he was trying very hard to get the uh, uh, investigators to believe he's guilty. Why? So he, you know why? Uh, okay. So they managed, so it was a very complex issue, but uh, they eventually got him to believe indirectly that uh, if he confesses, he will, uh, he will get a much lighter sentence. So this is something that is not allowed in, in Israel to do, but uh, it doesn't matter But eventually, because eventually he believed it. It doesn't matter how exactly they did it and whether they actually broke any law or not. They eventually reached the situation where that's what he believes, obviously. So... So the interesting thing is uh, he tried to answer a lot of questions about how the murder happened. And when you look at what answers he, uh, he gave, so he gave a lot of correct answers and a lot of incorrect answers. In the, in the, in the trial, they took all the correct answers and showed, hey, he said eight correct things about the murder. Wow, that's, there's no way someone could hit eight times. But when you actually look at what he's got right and what he got wrong, all the right stuff is like guesses that are like one and two. Okay, stuff like which stall does it happen? Yeah, there's like a left or, and right one. Yeah, so like stuff like that. So all, all the all the guesses which could be easily guessed, he got them. Not all of them. Some of them he got wrong. Some of them he got wrong and then he said, are you sure? And then he got them right. So all the easy stuff uh, uh, correctly. All the stuff he got was easy guesses. None of the hard guesses he he managed to get right, even though they're not. It's not like uh, they're they're more incriminating or putting him in a in a worse light in terms of a person than the other stuff. So, when you look at all the distribution of evidence, not only the, the hits but also the misses, this is a clear uh, someone trying to guess distribution and not uh, uh, and not uh, not not the guilty person trying to some somehow hide for some reason. Uh, some of the evidence because, because you think he would get a, he thought he would get a lighter sentence for cooperating is that what yes yes do you, do you have any idea who did it i mean to this day I'm, I'm not yeah sure. so um so there are two alternative hypotheses that are going around one is the that the friends of uh, tair or not friends schoolmates, schoolmates of yeah. tair uh, uh murdered her so all kinds could be around uh, drugs or uh, jealousy or whatever um this this basically has this very low probability. There's nothing to support it. Uh, it's very low in the prior. I mean, it's not it's not the kind of murder that uh, usually happens. And uh, and young people are very bad at uh, keeping secrets for long. So, mm. 
that's the that's the second hypothesis. The third hypothesis is um, uh, a person called uh, Ola or uh, AK uh, sometimes. Uh, this is a girl who used to uh, learn at that uh, study at that school four years earlier, uh, and she has she has some um, serious psychiatric problems which drive her to want to uh, play with blood and the insides of people, stuff like that. And uh, uh, so someone psychotic. Yeah, I don't think psychotic is the correct. Uh, uh, word, but uh, yeah, she has she has some psychiatric problems, um, and uh, and her boyfriend at the time, after, many years later, uh, says uh, she confessed to him at the night of the murder and gave him details, and he and he saw he saw the he saw the blood on her um, clothes, so you, and you put all this in, into uh, root claim, and it it said uh, confirmed. It is not uh, probable that it is it was the janitor. Yes. Wow. On, on a lighter note, <laughs> on a much lighter note. On a much lighter note. You looked into Donald Trump's hair. Yeah, yeah. I got to hear this one. <laughs> uh, actually, that was a long time ago, so I don't really remember all the details. But uh, basically, um, yeah, so uh, for a while, this it was common to say that he has a wig. Uh, it was like some of the jokes that people like to... I'm pulling it up here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so people like to... Uh, uh, like to say about him that he has a wig. I always thought it was uh, a bad comb over. Yeah, yeah. Also, comb over is another thing that uh, uh, people said. But uh, you know who basically, has a really bad comb over. Before you get to that, sorry, the, I said, you know who has a really bad comb over? And BB. Before, yeah, BB. He actually has a good one, I think. But well, uh, <laughs> well yeah. I mean, look, it looks it looks I good. I think. Premise that most comb overs in in general, it's a no, bad idea. No, comb don't don't comb over. Oh yeah, it's it's as far as comb over go. Come over his go. I think he's uh, he's pulling it off. <laughs> it's surprising, actually, that there aren't any leaked photos of him like with his hair. Yeah, like, yeah. In like all over, like yeah. Trump had a bunch of photos like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Not Trump. So you you guys reached the conclusion since you're sixty percent likely. Yeah. That it's a result of a flap surgery. What is a flap surgery? So, so that's the surgery where you take uh, you cut hair from here and you like rotate it and put it here. Sounds okay, awful. so you take you take like a flap of skin and put it here. Where? Uh, just go. Dude, I, could totally, I could totally see him doing that. Yeah. So, so I think the the main evidence to support it is that he often likes to do this. You see, that's my real hair, and he lets people pull it. Okay, so that's something that shows that this this area is okay. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, this one thing that's not covered in this analysis is the possibility of multiple uh, treatments. Oh. Uh, but yeah, so. It's it's common that it's uh, some of them, but uh, to pay is uh, it's not very it. very unlikely. Yeah, there's like uh, we should have seen something to support that so far, and uh, yeah, you can clearly see it's connected to his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so you claim, and this has not up on the website yet. You told me um, in in the pre-show conversation yeah. that you're okay. redoing the website in a couple of days. Here, yes, um, you you think you know the source of COVID nineteen. Yeah, so so to be accurate, it's not uh, we know. So so a lot of people are doing research on that. A lot of people are publishing their their uh, theories and hypotheses on what happened, and they give the evidence to support it. What we do is we weigh the different hypotheses against the evidences and see who has the best case and who is best supported by the evidence. Uh, so again, <laughs> uh, we were going into it expecting to reach the mainstream conclusion. We said, okay, let's do. We have too many. Uh, 
confirmed conspiracies on our website that that wasn't expected when we started this yeah, what so we the, said okay let's main theories that are going around just to put everyone here yeah so 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 we said okay let's let's go and and, and try to do something that's uh that's mainstream and important and uh you know people are blaming uh this on on biological weapons and lab leaks and let's let's try to and do that, something that and sorry that's right yeah that's uh that's the that's so I, th- I think the bat soup is, is no, no one really believes that. that's that's more oh, of a right. that's more of a urban legend, but there are basically three hypotheses. Uh, one is that this was uh, a zoonotic uh, source, may, meaning that uh, this was a virus uh, uh, at some animal that crossed over to humans, and that's how we got it. And that's something that happens all the time. Most cases, it doesn't develop into a deadly pandemic, but uh, we catch viruses from animals all the time. So that's something that... Like through food, through getting bitten? What, what are we talking about here? So any any oh, contact uh, could work. It could be just handling them. could be in farms. Okay. Uh, just um, so, and any any contact, close contact people have with uh, animals or their excrements is, uh, is a source for uh, okay. zoonetic transfer. Okay, so that's the... That's the one hypothesis. This is the one that is currently considered the, the mainstream that uh, every serious person believes. The second one would be uh, a lab leak. So uh, people were so we had scientists experimenting with uh, different viruses, um, building a new virus for whatever reason, and it got leaked out. This and is that's a Wuhan level four biological laboratory. Uh, Yes. So if we go for lab leak, the, the immediate culprit would be uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is in Wuhan. So you have uh, you, you have a, you have a yeah. lab right next to the, the uh, <laughs> to the start of the pandemic. And the third would be something intentional. Uh, and that is uh, some agent wanted to cause this pandemic. They designed a, a virus and released it. Okay. So so the conclusion. Um, it's, we didn't publish it yet, but going to publish it in a few days. Uh, seems quite do clear. Do we have a drum roll on the? Let's go. We need to get a drum roll here. Okay. Let's let's get a drink first. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I need more. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So so far, um, uh, it seems pretty pretty um, strong that this is uh, indeed a lab leak from uh, Wuhan. A leak. Yes. So not not, not not intentional. This is. Uh, I mean that is one of the obvious things. If, if if it was intentional, you don't do it next to your lab, right? For sure. So it's, unless you're you're a, a someone else trying to uh, implicate uh, one. But uh, if it's if it's a virus coming from uh, uh, woman labs, it would not be released intentionally in one. That's I think that's obvious. Okay, so this is uh, this is mostly based on uh, research done by uh, someone. Uh, Named Yuri Degin, he also went into this trying to disprove the the zoonotic uh, to to confirm the zoonotic uh, source. Uh, he looked and he he's a genetics expert and looked into the genes, and we see a few uh, interesting things there. But before that, I think actually it's important to realize that even before we look at the to the genetics, this is this is a pretty likely hypothesis of the lab leak because if, let's look at two things. One is Lab leaks happen, so a lot of um, a lot of pretty dangerous viruses, including the first SARS, have uh, escaped labs multiple times, 
And there are probably even two wide scale epidemics that were caused by lab leaks. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that doesn't happen. It's much less often than zoonotic pandemics, but it does happen. So we estimated around uh, for each uh, 20 zoonotic uh, epidemics, you will have one lab leak epidemic. Okay, so that's where we started. We're not starting with 0 0.01. We're starting with something that's probably 5%, something that's possible. And then you have, uh, you have this pandemic starting at Wuhan, which is a pretty strong, strong coincidence because Wuhan is basically one of two labs that are developing new coronaviruses, doing what's called a gain of function. Gain of function is a research where you try to add new uh, functions, new capabilities to a virus in order to predict what nature could bring to you in the future and be prepared for it. Okay. So, so that's they, the stuff they, they do there. They weren't trying to weaponize it. They were, they were trying to Correctly. mess around Which, with it to understand where, how it could evolve and then how to adapt uh, to future. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, so this is this is completely crazy stuff biologically speaking. Yeah, so, so this this is completely benign research. There's nothing, no bad bad intentions here. Um, this the whole field is is very controversial. So a lot of people are trying to shut it down be, exactly because this is something that could happen. Uh, and others say we need to be prepared to all uh, all new pathogens. So it's a controversy whether this kind of uh, research should be uh, should be happening or not. But there are basically only two labs who are doing gain of function of coronavirus, one in the US and one in Wuhan, okay? And so just the fact, Wuhan is just one of maybe, I don't know, 100, 200 cities of similar size in the world. The fact that this starts there is already uh, a pretty interesting coincidence that by itself is quite enough to overcome the one in 20 odds we started with, okay? So even before we go to the, gen the genetics, this is like, um, at least 50-50. Yeah, it makes it, it makes it very, very suspicious. Yes. Uh, and, and to anybody with like, you know, you weigh it without even getting into anything else. It's like, okay, wait, wet, wet market, bats, weird Chinese eating habits. And then it's like <laughs> GS, you know, GS4, you know, biohazard lab in Wuhan, like 200 meters away from the wet market. Like, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird, right? Right. Anybody. Right. Although, do you, do you remember we had one of our first guests was um, a public policy expert who has been focusing on global pandemics? Okay. Uh, the, well, he, he was, he was, you're talking about David Manheim. David he's, Manheim. he's a uh, catastrophic oh, risk. Yes, catastrophic uh, risk so, expert. Um, and, and, you know, he mentioned on this question that, uh, that there are a number of similar kinds of labs in major Chinese cities. So he didn't think it was indicative at all. Um, yeah, yeah, but you, you need to focus on coronavirus gain of function research, okay. not not just any virology research. Okay, so this is the research that could generate a new coronavirus. So this is very specific, and there's uh, not many places who actually do it. Got it. So we're starting with uh, this being not not too unlikely, and then there's a lot of evidence. Two things are most important. One is this is uh, this uh, virus looks to be a chimera of uh, rat virus. Um, a bat virus and uh, pangolin virus. Okay, um, both of which are viruses that we know uh, China to be investigating, and these are uh, creatures that are not very likely to meet up in nature and trade uh, viruses. Yeah. Okay, so that's one thing that's uh, pretty 
uh, pretty suspicious. And the other thing is, uh, this gets a bit technical. Uh, it's got something called a Furing cleavage site. So this is this is a site. Uh, it's um, uh, 12 nucleotides, so 12 uh, genetic letters inside the, the virus that are designed in a way that um, a certain enzyme in the human body and body of other animals will uh, cleave it, will cut it, and that, that will uh, help the genetic material to enter the cell. Okay, so that's something that greatly increases its uh, infectiousness of the virus. And this cleavage site appears in the, in the genetic code in a way that looks inser- inserted rather than mutated. Mm. Okay, so when you look at the, at the area to the left and to the right of this uh, cleavage site, this uh, um, 12 nucleotides, you see that when you compare it to the most similar viruses, you see the, it was likely pushed and the and the gene was the new gene was inserted inside rather than mutated over. So that's something that is more likely to happen in a lab than nature. It's, so it's not that, impossible, but it's more yeah. more likely as a okay. lab practice. So you're saying when a genetic uh, whatever that name of the scientist is evolutionary the, biologist is, is that what it is? Maybe uh, a gen- geneticist. You mean a geneticist? Virologist? Look, yeah. Yeah, would look at this. It, it seems to them you're saying. I'm just trying to understand that it looks more man-made than it does natural. That's what you're... So this specific site looks like something that is edited. Overall, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't seem like fully edited gene. Mm. It looks like something that was, uh, that was evolved in a lab, not something that was designed in a lab, except for this specific insert, which looks uh, more like uh, something that uh, a human would insert. It's not 100%. It is something that could happen in nature. And in nature, where, of course, we have a lot of... Uh, 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 opportunities for these events to happen. So it's very hard to estimate the probabilities. But one thing that you can say is nature would be more likely to reach there by, by mutation by, than by insertion. Okay? So it's not something that you would say is like a one in a million evidence, but it is definitely something that is uh, more of the choice that a lab would do than nature would do. Uh, and also, if you look at specifically the nucleotides they chose in order to code, these are a rare nucleotides in nature and common for uh, lab practices because they, they make it easier to identify uh, the presence of this uh, sequence. So these are these are the main uh, uh, the main piece of evidence. Uh, so, given that we already started with something that is given it's in Wuhan is pretty reasonable and then we add to uh, genetic uh, a piece of evidence that are uh, pretty pretty unlikely under nature uh, that makes it uh, the most likely hypothesis and did you give it a probability a uh, yeah we, not final that's uh, it's at over 70 percent now oh. um, but I would say it's it's probably going to be uh, higher when we publish and uh, and you need to also know that we actually we we tend to be very um, careful when you when you start to reach the high probabilities. So we this is in order to we, we put a higher likelihood than actually is for for our, us making mistakes in the in the process. Okay, so one of the most important things in our analysis is we actually program in the probability that we made a mistake in the in the modeling. And currently we give this this a high probability than what is actually is. Uh, just to be on the safe side. So I would say 70% is a very um, conservative estimate. 
Wow. I'm going to pour myself another drink. Uh, okay. Here so, so kind of wait, info, wait, and we're going to have some. Wait, wait a second. So, so, so it's. It, it, it confirmed what I already thought. Um, and, and I, you know, I listened to a lot of different people that are, you know, talking about these things. And, and that was I've heard that before. That not not that, you know. It um, I've heard the, the 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 probability that it was biologically uh, engineered in terms of its evolution being much more likely than it would be naturally evolved. So I you know, this is not a shock to me. Uh, however, apart from the obvious, uh, let's call them policy implications of this on China and the Chinese government and having some sort of responsibility in the leak of a virus from one of its labs being confirmed, um, does it make a difference in terms of the therapeutic approach towards um, reducing probably, the virus? Probably not too much. Um, I mean, it's probably going to be helpful to see what exactly they did there, what would the viruses this developed from, mm -hmm. and maybe it will give some inspiration, but we already know the, the exact uh, the exact sequence of this virus, and and we, we've seen it in people, and millions of people, and we have a good idea how it operates. I don't think it will give some breakthroughs. I think the main implication is uh, how, um, how humanity should approach this kind of uh, gain-of-function research in the future. So, does this change... Um how you know governments should approach the chinese government and say okay guys we know or we think we know that means does this mean that the chinese government or the, the people in that lab should have more insights into this strain and how to um and how to treat it or does it not matter because you now have it mapped out and you can, you can it's not my area of expertise but i i mean as far as i understood i can't see how what they did to reach that virus would give more information over what we already know. If it was day one, definitely yeah. they, they could say, tell a lot. But at this point, we have much more information that they could ever hope for in the lab. We have millions of people infected. Got it. Yeah. Wow. I, I got to ask, how do you, um, how many people are there reclaimed, by the way? Looking uh, at it's four. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you sitting yourself on these? problems and kind of doing research yourself or oh yeah you're, you're sitting yourself and you're working on this yes um how do you guys choose what problems what questions what theories you're going to look at so we look for something that is interesting a lot of people want to know it it has an impact on on the world and on decision making on you know can save lives anything like that uh and it's not obvious okay so when people say um, Hillary Clinton is um, trafficking children from pizza places. It's not something we we go into investigate. Um, but but when there's but when there's like a serious controversy, we will we'll look into it. Interesting stuff. It's it, it, yeah. It, it is one of those things where it's like you probably get a lot of people who are just asking you like, you should look into this, or you should tell me what the answer is to that or the other, and you have yeah. to really carefully select what you're going to what you're going to approach because you're also trying to make an impact and you're trying to, you know, avoid, uh, you know, whatever your naysayers might, might try to say about what it is that you're doing. So you need to approach what you're doing from a very serious, serious way. Um, just, just out of curiosity, I mean, maybe, maybe we should you know change gears for a second. How did you, you know, get into you know, all these sorts of things? What, what made you interested in, uh, 
in, in the things, you know, how are you interested in the things that you invest in? How are you, how do you, uh, how do you find or found uh, companies? Where did you get your start in all of this? You know, how, how, did, how, how did you become you? <laughs> uh, One day his father and his mother. Well, no, that's not literally <laughs> that we assume, but, but. Uh, right. So, um, so usually the way it, uh, it happens is um, I will be working with one company on, on some, on their own problems and then some new solution or new direction, new product uh, possibility comes up. And if it's not a fit for that company, then I will maybe try to investigate uh, in my labs and see if that's something that's worth uh, doing. Um, and if yes, then, then I will try to, you know, build something around it, uh, get founders to do it, fund it and help as much as I can. Uh, so um, usually, uh, usually the stuff I do is around, would usually involve in some way, um, algorithms, AI, uh, do a lot of computer vision and optics sensors. Oh, what was your first uh, company? The one that, or, or your first big success? Uh, the, so fraud sciences. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fraud prevention. So we were uh, using, uh, we were doing some like, uh, uh, pretty advanced AI when no one was doing here in Israel uh, to to identify fraudsters online. Hmm. And, and you sold that to PayPal, correctly? Yeah, yeah. So today it's uh, it's PayPal Israel, and it's wow. responsible for a lot of their security. Unbelievable. And and that kind of gave you what the freedom, then the financial freedom to be able to follow things that interest you, right? Yeah. Was that was that kind of the goal though? Like, if you go back to that time, and we're talking when this is like the late nineties. Early two thousands, yeah, yeah. So there was two thousand one and sold two thousand and eight. Okay, so when you were thinking about what you wanted to do when you were just starting out, was it that you wanted to be, uh, you know, the to, to found a successful company and then to continue to build that company, or was it no, I want to become, you know, an investor in many different things. I want to be all over the place. I want to be doing different. Uh, you know, uh, good question. Where, where, yeah, where's the mindset where, where, at that stage? Where so did like you start to be when I just started? Yeah, um, I think I always had some uh, affinity to to trying to work on multiple problems at once. Um, yeah, but I, I was um, was always much more interested in uh, high impact stuff on humanity than just money sure well, what are some of the other um projects investments companies that you've had over the years that really stand out in your mind <laughs> or, or so you should tell me which of your children exactly you yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's tough so everyone every every company has some uh, something uh, very interesting about it uh if i try to choose uh, stuff that's interesting to you know general audience uh definitely Bzigo. Which that's uh, that's the, the one I second, couldn't pronounce. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like bzz, go. So it's uh, an iron dome for mosquitoes. So oh, that's a okay. yeah. So that's a very cool project. So basically, it's a computer vision uh, system. It's a home system that uh, constantly monitors your house and uh, identifies where uh, mosquitoes enter. You get uh, uh, you get a notification in your smartphone. You have a mosquito in your room. You go there and then mosquito <laughs> is is marked with the laser marker and you can just go and Shit. and take it out. So do you have to do so it yourself or is there like a so version one is uh yeah you you do it yourself. Most of the problem is knowing you have a mosquito and where it is. Sure. It, their strategy, unlike flies, is that they try to be stealth and they're not too hard to kill. 
flies are very obvious, but they're hard to kill. Right. So um, mosquitoes, basically, if you have a, an electric zapper or just a pillow, you'll get them 95% of the time. They're, if you know where they are, you'll get them. Yeah, they're pretty slow. They always come for me. They always <laughs> Was was version two like the laser? Like was like a laser? Okay. And so the version two is to take them me. out. Version two is to take them out, and that's that's tough uh, because you need to be safe. Uh, anything that could kill a mosquito remotely could probably injure a person. Oh. Yeah, or, you want it to be like you know we 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 tried to get the mosquito, but we killed the cat instead. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or or put the house on fire. Right. So that's what's that, what's that Confucian saying about killing mosquitoes and realizing there's better ways to do things? Right. There's some kind of uh, something at least attributed to Confucius. There's something, something with the testicles, I think. If yeah, you have yeah. a mosquito on your testicles or something, I don't even remember you the exact thing. You realize there's gentler ways to take care of your. Oh family. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so wait, is this is this a functional product that, that I can buy? Uh, no, you can you can pre-order it. It's um, uh, we already have a working prototype in the lab. We already have. Uh, um, the like the the boxing and everything of how it will look. It's now about the mass production, uh, and yeah, we got we got funding for it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be in the market. And it's gonna be. Um, I'm gonna ask a, a great product. Question. Awesome. But I'm you, gonna ask you, a stupid question. Um, okay. I hate mosquitoes. Like anyone who knows me, anyone who spent time with me, they, they always come to me first. I think it's something maybe because I sweat a lot or because it's in my blood type. I don't know what, um, but it seems like. And you'll tell me why I'm wrong in a second, but it seems like not the world's biggest problem to solve. Or is it places you're talking about that have malaria and it's a kidding? huge problem? It's a major problem. You don't live with that. That's like <laughs> every bug in the house. I have to spend ridiculous amounts of time. I mean, I got screamed, chasing. But, but when we get the odd mosquito, like it drives me crazy. Yeah. So, so going go, like going back to yeah. yeah. So going back since the the West is the real world, then it's only yeah, a nuisance exactly, problem. Exactly. But in the you know. The less important world, uh, you got a million people a year dying from it. So dying. a million people a year die from malaria is a real disease. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. West Nile. No, you're right. I've I've never spent um, considerable amounts of time in places where people are dying from mosquitoes. Spent some time in uh, sub-Saharan Africa with. Uh... I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So so, but uh, version two. Version two is about uh, taking them out, and it's tough because you need to be safe. And uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave it to you to think how, how, we, how we're going to do it. I, yeah, I, we, have a, we have a very neat solution for I that. I have an idea. Very small ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> You're not too far, actually. <laughs> I need bats that fly around the house and eat them. Um, it's, is it a radar system? Is it echolocation? How does it work? Uh, it's a computer vision. So uh, it's a camera. It's uh, infrared lighting, so it works at night. And... Um, of course, mosquitoes are too small to detect by shape, mm. but to retract their movement patterns. So interesting. That's really interesting. Actually, I was uh, Shabbat lunch yesterday with a friend of mine who's a physicist who works with optics and lasers and all these things. And, and I happen to mention you're going to be on the show. And he said, oh, I worked with him or we were trying to see how we could collaborate. And I think he was talking either about the mosquito project or some kind of glasses type project that you were uh, also, uh, is, is this uh, is this the guy who's uh, um, re- re- reconstructing um, light that is being reflected from a wall? I I have a feeling that's what he's into, but I've never really okay. delved into. But yes, he deals with optics and and, and these kind of things. Uri, uh, Uri maybe his name. Uh, Eitan Ronen is his name. He's a Ronen. physicist at a startup in uh, in Rehovot. 
I'm very bad with names. So. Okay. This could be someone that I've like maybe worked with for a month. I would not, I would not remember. <laughs> maybe you tried to forget him. No, no, no. It's, it takes crazy. It's like some, sometimes I like sit with a person for an hour oh, and a half, you said you and I meet, I, I meet him the day after, and yeah, nothing. You guys were trying to explore. Uh, I think he's working on some kind of glasses wearable tech. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. No, they they do the they do the microscopes, right? What, what's that company called? Um, it's Lumus, know. right? Yes, Lumus. That's what this company so is. I'm sure I'm, I got the correct. It's one of those uh, small world type, you know, stories. We're in Israel. We're in Israel. It's a small world. Oh, oh okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. No, these are these are uh, these are the waveguides. Yeah. So they do they do displays for uh, augmented reality. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Of, like I said, it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, I've, I've met this guy multiple times and. <laughs> We spent uh, no, uh i think he'll be okay <laughs> all right let, let's yeah. let's ask let's ask, let, although uh, he does listen to the show i want to ask Sal a bizarre question you're 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 a big a big ideas guy and you've got the ability to see things through um what is our world assuming we're all here and everything works out okay what what does our reality look like in 2050 oh wow 50 ideally well maybe not so far maybe maybe 10 years from now are we living in, is AI now a much more... Uh, you just like you jump know. for the jugular question. Well, no, it's, it's an important thing question. to say. Of course I mean, it is. Be, look, here's, here's <laughs> the thing that I always go to, okay? There are, and, and this is especially something I find in, in, in Israel, and it could just be that because I'm in Israel that I, that I you know, find it mostly here, and it could be something that, you know, when you're talking about technologies and innovation, it happens anywhere. You know, you find that... Um, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say to Sal, like I, I, before COVID, uh, would bring, I work in tourism. So I would bring you know, high level delegations of people from the United States and we would you know, sit down with innovators or government ministers or things like that and talk about Israel's impact on the world and technology and how things are going to be. And, and it's like, you know, how many times I heard that by, you know, by 2020, uh, and we're going back like we would be in 2015, by 2020, everybody will be having, will be driving an autonomous vehicle. You know, the, the, the excitement seems to be that it's right around the corner and we're going to be there. And it's, and, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, and, 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 and then it's like, it, I'm always like the skeptic, like, no, that, that doesn't seem like it's realistic to believe that in two years time, we're all going to be, you know, in a self-driving car. Um, However, it does seem that, you know, we're getting to a point where we're reaching kind of the, the horizon, like there, there are going to be more and more uh, technologies that are deeply uh, impacting our day to day lives, not just the life or, or, or technologies of science or industry, but, but you and me, you know, regular, regular people that sit here at home, um, you know, AI is something that more and more is talked about uh, positively and negatively, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's becoming more, more something that the average person, you know, talks about. Um, are we, are we, are we close to, to seeing like a, I don't know what the word well, is. Let's, le- let's leave it open-ended. I mean, and, and you come to it now, or, or maybe if you want to think about it for a second, um, how are our lives, if, if you have a guess, practically going to change in 10, 20 years? I don't know if you've had thoughts about it. I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to predict. These these are very chaotic uh, chaotic um, processes. Um, there's basically a lot of um, 
um, events that if they happen, they, they introduce a lot of change. Uh, and if they don't happen, we continue to see the same slower than expected progress, I think. So uh, in terms of AI, the big question is whether you get to a point where you can actually uh, solve problems and do advanced engineering with AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's called a singularity, but... Singularity, that was the word that I was looking for. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so let's not, let's not be too too caught up on the exact term, but I think the point where you can use AI to solve complex problems and do engineering is a point where you have a very rapid uh, change in innovation. Um, doesn't seem like we're getting there in 10, 10 to 20 years. You think longer? 40, 40, 50 sounds, uh, sounds right. Um, but it could be, could be any number. Um, we were watching, um, we just watched the Back to the Future trilogy with our kids. My, my oldest, awesome. I have an 11, a 9, and a 5-year-old. And, and for the past three weeks, every Thursday night, we do a movie night. So we did Back to the Future. And, and I love the one where, I mean, you remember, we were, how old are you, by the way? When, when, when it came out? No, no, how old are you now? Uh, oh, today? 45. 45. Okay, so you're a little older than us. I'm 38, you're 36. So, um, but I remember watching... Uh, uh, back to the future as a kid in the in the 90s and in the, you know it, it takes place in 2020 and, and there's flying cars 2015 2015 2015 yeah. okay <laughs> so it's like you, you compare where where people thought we were going to be with flying cars in 2015 and it's like no we're still trying to convince people that uh, the moon landing was real you know <laughs> yeah but if you look at it <laughs> they they completely underestimated anything that's related to computers that's true. okay so so like the, the the graphics they have there were ridiculous at 85, they thought they're like showing like amazing graphics, but they were like ridiculous in today's terms. Uh, the the video conference was pretty lousy. The uh, yeah, the displays, everything like uh, everything was underestimated when it comes to uh, computers and electronics. But when it came when it comes to mechanics, right? They, were, like, they it was just they way off. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there anyone? I'm re- actually really curious. Is there anyone that you know of in this kind of genius high tech world that you live in, working on time travel is that a thing? That time I mean, travel? No, never heard anyone. No one's looking even into it even as a joke. No. Could it ever be possible? I say that's that's a question a for a physicist. Yeah, I've yeah. I've never never met a physicist who thinks we're anywhere close to understanding how this works. Um, they're still trying to debate if it's possible. So yeah. my understanding from listening to a lot of physics you know physicists talk on different podcasts is that uh or or youtube videos it's theoretically possible there's mathematics that can you know prove uh that it would be possible but you would need in order if you were to build a time machine you would in order to actually move something of infant you know infinitesimal weight like you know a, a milligram of something you would need to use the entire energy output of earth essentially and it would just be so super inefficient that Maybe you, no, could, maybe you could zap the mosquitoes uh, forward in no, time. No, we're not there. <laughs> but one minute in the past. You, you are working on some stuff that does seem like it's right out of sci- out of sci-fi. Um, your your brain preservation. Ah, yeah, right, right. Uh, uh, to me. Nice absolutely, segue. absolutely fascinating to me. Um, although, although I have to say, when you go to the website and you look at the, the pictures, it's a little disturbing. So, to the uninitiated, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, pigs' brains. I'm going to the website right now. Tell yeah, us about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, this this is only something I funded. I have no, uh, I have no 
background in this area. I don't I don't understand the, the processes well enough. Uh, so this is, was this was an idea by um, uh, a researcher from Harvard called uh, Ken Hayworth. Uh, this was probably twelve years ago, I think. Uh, and he he came up with the idea. He, he his job is to uh, slice uh, brain. Uh, so making very thin slices of uh, brain material and then looking at, at it with the electronic microscope and then actually tracing neurons th- through the slice. So it's uh, um, that's what he does. And then he, when he saw that he's getting the level of detail that's basically enough to um, understand everything about uh, how this, these uh, neurons work, he realized that if we actually manage to scan a whole brain, and keep all the data, then uh, then that would be enough some sometime in the future when processing power reaches that capability to actually simulate the whole brain. And uh, based on everything we know so far and how the brain works, that would mean uh, brain uploading. That that would mean that you will be the same person you are, just running on silicon instead of. Uh, um, what, what do you mean? So, you, could take, you could take your brain as if it were a, a disk drive and upload it to anything else. Is that what you're? Yeah, so basically the, he said, okay, so he's doing scans and he sees in the scans, he sees very low level of detail of how the synapses and neurons and axons, everything connect and what is the strength of the connections, everything. Uh, and he hypothesizes that this information is enough to completely simulate the brain if you transfer all the information to a computer. There's no computer anywhere close to being able to do the simulation. But if you actually know all the connections and their strength and everything at the state, and then you recreate it on, uh, on a computer, you will, that computer will have the exact same experience that, that the brain has. For all purposes, it would be you. you. You will not be able to differentiate if that is... Is it you frozen in time at that specific time? No, no. We, we, we run the simulation and it works. I mean, it's, uh, you, just, you just need to connect the senses to... Alternative... Are you trying to... Are you, Dan, are you trying to say, like, are, in terms of cognition, like... You, you, Dan Pfefferman, your body, what we, uh, you know, we call the, yeah. the soul, okay, yeah. are, you would feel you, uh, but you would, instead of having this body, you would, you know, be essentially in a machine in whatever form that would take, or are you saying, no, this is just the preservation of your memories, and the, uh, if you right. ask it or give it input, do this or do that, or tell me this or tell me that, it would respond as if it were you. So if you if you scan the information and save it to a hard disk, that is a preservation of the person. Mm-hmm. If you take all this information and start to run a simulation of neurons, exactly how neurons interact and how they uh, how they adapt and everything, and you run it in a computer and then you connect it to the outside world, you give it cameras, you give it microphones, you give it uh, a simulation of all the senses, then the subjective experience is indiscernible. That's that's. That's me. That's there's nothing. Now, as far as we know today, there's nothing that uh, could differentiate this is the two experiences. They're, they're already no, running. no, 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 no. So, so he said that's something that's theoretically possible. If that's theoretically theoretically possible in the future, if we can take someone who's uh, has some um, uh, terminal disease today, and he's going to die in a few months, and we actually instead of uh, letting him die, we uh, are able to freeze his brain in a way that preserves all this information. And then 50 years in the future, we have the technology to scan this brain and upload it and, and run it. Then that, that, that person is basically 
is is given some alternative to dying, right? So, um, so it's uh, essentially it's essentially cry cryogenics, except without hoping to preserve the entirety of the human body to one day, many, 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 many generations in the future, you know, bring it back to life. Right. So, uh, so most know. most people would prefer to to think of preserving their whole body and and being able to revive it as is, uh, which may be rational or not. I don't know. But that's what, what most people want to do. The problem is we don't have so far any method of doing that. So what can offer it is to, uh, to, to make a challenge to get uh, a group to be able to just preserve their brain. Even if it's not in a reversible state, there's no way to reverse it, but there's a way to, all the information is preserved. So, so we said we should have a challenge to get people to uh, show that they can uh, preserve a mammalian brain, a pig brain. Uh, and give them some money for that, and I, I just happened to it in some forum, and I, and I said, okay, that makes sense. Let's uh, let's fund this, uh, and uh, yeah, so we gave them a hundred thousand dollars for the uh, the prize, and the prize was uh, won like uh, five years ago. So a group was able to fully preserve a, a pig brain, and they have a process that, for all purposes, can can preserve uh, a person's um, a full full brain information. It's has it been done on people? No. So uh, there's a company called Nectome that is uh, working on this uh, to bring this to humans. Um, they are supposed to get there in a few months. Uh, the first people will be people that are not intended to be revived ever. So these are people that are just intended to be. Uh, so they, they'll get some compensation beforehand for participating, and. Uh, Basically, uh, they're donating their body to science. Essentially. Yeah, so it's the same same as donating to science. Yeah, then they don't. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so they will undergo the procedure, and then we will verify that all the information is indeed preserved, that the level of details that we think is sufficient. And once that is proven, then you can start offering to it to terminal patients. Yes. Bizarre question: Would would you ever do this yourself? Uh, so if it's if it's the only option left, I think it makes sense. Why not? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, uh, uh, I it's think interesting it's, uh, because it's it the best fallback we have. It definitely approaches this 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 fine line between where the physical approaches the metaphysical, where you know science is like, okay, what's technically possible, and then it's like, well, what what is the what is the nature of of what makes you you? What is the source of yeah. life? What is the soul? Right. I'd, I'd be super curious. Um, I'd be super curious to get you know, uh, I I don't know how much you care or don't care, or even curious about this, but I'd be curious to get like. Uh, forward-thinking rabbis, you know, religious uh, um, mind, maybe from all religions involved in this um, to debate, to debate this question of, of you know, where does the, yeah, so, so if this, if this, the fall? yeah, so if this happens, if this actually gets to a point that, that is, uh, that puts a lot of uh, religious and spiritual uh, ideas in a very weird place, because basically yeah. uh, the soul is supposed to be gone somewhere but hang on we can bring it back in 50 years so you need to settle the question in that case yeah I, I didn't quite understand so is it is it the soul is it like the this person could or the, the person's brain continues living in some form like we see in sci-fi movies or is this at the point that that person's brain stopped working this is um this is where everything that was a facsimile of what it was. Yeah, so it's very similar to going. Um, uh, uh, what's it called when you go into surgery? 
anesthesia. Anesthesia, yeah. So it's very similar. So uh, basically, you you lose consciousness for that period, and when you, your brain activity ceases, and when they bring you back, you're uh, you're basically at the same point you you were. Uh, it, it was stopped. So it's the same idea. You stop brain activity. You preserve all the information. You just do it for years instead of uh, hours. Wow. crazy it's totally a black box too it's, it's like you don't know where 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 do you go during that time when you're not there where do, where do you go when you're under anesthesia you, exactly same same sort you of don't, thing. you don't go anywhere you just uh there's just no activity I, at that point which which if we want to get philosophical about it is kind of the answer or not the answer but it, it, it figures into the answer of your question which is if you're approaching it from a from a, let's say a traditionalist uh, religious point of view that, that the body has a soul and then when we die the soul goes somewhere if you were talking, approaching it from a completely, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure that the word atheist is the right word, but like a, a, a without that sort of a mindset, it's that you do not have a soul. You right. exist only right. in your brain. And if the brain is being frozen and being brought back to life, thus the feeling of consciousness would also be brought back to life. Huh. Uh, yeah, and, that's interesting. And, and there you would be. Um, and and I mean, it has amazing implications. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head. I'm thinking of, of uh, you know, long, long distance space travel. Uh, if you can freeze somebody here on earth put them in yeah. space you know you, you have to take let's say it's i don't know two uh, two million years to, you know to travel from here at the fastest propulsion mm-hmm. speed we have today to the nearest star system uh you know you could theoretically speaking freeze yourself um your body would no longer be necessary and then when you get to the other side you you are in some sort of a, a robot or a something different like body that. or whatever but, yeah. but mm-hmm. you, you and 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 you know very yeah I'm, I'm um yeah i never found the the whole space exploration stuff uh, too appealing, but uh, well, yeah, if that's your thing. Wow. Why not? Yeah, I mean, wh- why is it appealing? I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not critical of the fact that you don't find it interesting. No, I, no, I mean, uh, it's so interesting I, I, of the things that one becomes interested in. That's definitely in the, in the tool. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we have like uh, areas uh, in our own planet that we even are, not even close to exploring or uh, building colonies or anything. So Actually, no, is- no one is interested in that. So why are people interested in doing it on Mars? I must say it's a, never, never got, it, never got the point. You. I agree with you. <laughs> um, I, I think that some people would say that there's just, you know, if you look around the world, there, there, there seems to be a, a good argument to be made as to why we should work to try to get ourselves off this planet. Um, in, in, That's like, it just sounds like uh, 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 one million times more expensive solution than yeah, the, the, the next best solution. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> um, actually, that's interesting. It, from an investment perspective, when you're looking at projects to invest in, let's say somebody came at you with a space sort of a thing, like like some sort of initiative about long-term space travel, something you know way out of the box. Mm-hmm. Do, would you look at that? You know, you just said you know you're not interested. You're not interested in it personally. Would you look at it and say, does this make good financial sense? Or are you just saying like, you know what, I don't believe in that. So it, it's not of importance to me and therefore I'm not. Yeah, so, so I would I would want to see both a financial sense and a positive impact. So I don't see too much positive impact in space travel. Yeah. What, what, what um, you mentioned, there's things on earth that we haven't fully explored yet. So where, where what does pique your interest? You know, oh, it doesn't interest me. I'm just saying that, okay. that we have lots of places that we could explore and uh, colonize and Obviously, no one is interested in that. It seems like the, the only reason people are interested in colonizing other planets is just because it has. Uh, it's the unknown. It's, it's no. It's like sci-fi. It's something yeah. that was that they, they they read about when they were kids. But I just don't see 
how it is interesting. I mean, it's it's cute to send probes and have them send over information and and explore, but like getting people to live there, like why why there and not four uh, thousand meters below sea level? Yeah, why right. is that? Why yeah. is that more interesting? Well, what we could do at sea, building sea <laughs> right. colonies. Yeah, um, I mean, speaking of the mo- of the moon and space, you have a company called Moon Active. Um, Ah, it's not mine. I just I was just the first investor there. Yeah. Okay, you have you you're the first investor in a company called Moon Active. Um, does it have anything to do with the moon or what? what no, is... no, that's just uh, that's just a, a mobile games company. Okay, <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing is uh, uh, sci-fi as the other stuff. Well, what are some of the other? Um, so if you, if you like, if you like, like uh, more uh, uh, advanced. Uh, so Deep Optics is a good company to discuss. So what they're doing? They're doing uh, um, a lens that can change its uh, optical power, its focal length uh, with no moving parts. Okay, so, mm. uh, so I think the, the most interesting uh, application they have is building glasses that can, can be adaptable for- uh, Different distances. For distance and for reading and everything based, based on your needs. And that's something you don't know about, but oh. uh, when you get to 45, <laughs> uh, every person Seven years from yeah. <laughs> yeah, every person start, starts to lose the flexibility of the inner lens of the eye. And that means they, they can, the, the minimum distance they can focus and goes further and further away. Okay, so at some point you can, you can no longer look at, uh, you can't read, you can't uh, look at, uh, at your smartphone. So that's when you start needing reading glasses. Um, yeah, so the idea is you have just one glasses and that could uh, give you the ability to look at diff- different distances. Basically, it's uh, recovering this uh, flexibility that you had uh, when you were young. Yeah. This might have been what you were talking about with my friend, because I think these are the kind of things uh, he deals with. Uh, uh, no, I think uh, I think I was talking to him about uh, an eye tracking company. Okay, a sensor that uh, uh, looks at the direction. Uh, I'll have to ask him after the, the, the show. Okay. <laughs> What what's the next uh, but, type of, uh, yeah. human challenge that's popping up on your head um, now that you're starting to to want to look at that you want to veer in uh, with, mm-hmm. whether to invest in something or to start your own company? Yeah, so definitely um, main focus now is trying to help with uh, the pandemic, uh, getting this um, clinical trial off the ground. It's very hard for one person to do. Um, other things, uh, so. Uh, the stuff I learned from this this experiment um, is uh, definitely seems to translate to other areas. So the problem of a lot of um, solutions to diseases already being out there, uh, you just need to have a good data science approach to be able to connect different research and 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 use common sense of you know advanced biology of what what could work and what what can work to to make leaps that are much faster than uh, the current process is definitely something that could be interesting to look at for other uh, diseases. Uh, and I'm also looking more more general, besides the brain preservation project, I'm looking at longevity in general to see what, uh, what kind of um, options we have there. So it seems so to what, be a- What's interesting you as far as longevity? I'm not- uh, at this point, I'm still trying to be convinced that uh, this is something that's solvable on a, uh, in the near term. Um, so uh, the question is whether aging is something that is uh, programmed, something that is evolutionary selected for, or something that is um, a compromise between you know 
like uh, you know the candle that burns brightest burns fastest so uh, just uh, it's a design that we need to get the bodies more effective in reproducing and then once we're done uh, we have a lot of wear and tear that cannot be fixed so if it's the first uh, then it's reasonable that that we can be we can solve longevity in our lifetimes if it's the second it's going to be a much tougher problem so yeah, so I'm trying to study that now. It's you know just that's just starting. Nothing interesting well, to is this personal interest in longevity and these kind of questions. Do you have um, personal dietary or exercise habits different than let's say other people? Does that does that kind of thing play into it? Are you eating differently? Are you exercising? Um, I don't think I'm. Uh, I think I'm doing what uh, everyone is recognizing as uh, as efficient, which is uh, doing. Um, uh, high intensity exercises so you know short uh, bursts of uh, high uh, mm-hmm. high intensity nutrition you know less sugar less processed food less uh, um, flour um, you're not like uh, going uh, you know vegan or paleo or any of these kind of trends no no I, I don't think um, I, I think both of them are not are not ideal I think uh, I think there's obviously a lot of uh, um good sources of nutrients in uh, animal products. I don't like uh, the way they're uh, manufactured today yeah. on the moral level. So I, I try to uh, focus on eating only stupid animals. That's <laughs> 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 so of that's of uh, a uh, big fish. fish yeah. so that's right. <laughs> uh, you guys see in, um, I mean, I eat meat, um, but it's it's one of those things where I think, like you said, uh, my issue, and and I just haven't found an affordable way to do it. But my issue is that I don't like the way, you know, the animal, um, the, the whole process. You feel bad. I feel bad for the, for the sustainability of it, and and yeah, for... and, and I'd love to be able to afford, you know, uh, free range and and you know, humane and and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just I'm not at that place in my life where I think I can afford it. But I just saw in Nestiona, so I'm we're in Rehovah. Oh yeah. Nestiona, they just uh, a vegan restaurant just popped up, and it's going to be serving or it is serving uh, chicken made from cells grown in a lab. Yes, yeah. So this this is a, an Israeli startup that's manufacturing uh, lab grown chicken. Is it your uh, sorry, is it your startup? <laughs> no, uh, no. But I actually I registered for the for the restaurant. They didn't get back to me, so you can you can try to reserve a place there. I'm curious too. I'm curious, very curious. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So. Didn't get in so far, um, but yeah. So they open like a, like a restaurant that's next to their company and okay. the lab, and you can you can test their foods and give them feedback and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you think this is the future of uh, of meat? Oh yeah, sure, of course. You think so? You yeah. Think they're going to get to a point where it's um, scalable and affordable to the point where we don't have to slaughter animals and raise animals and slaughter animals anymore. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that, I mean. So it's I, a very inefficient process today. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. I think that in a hundred, hundred, one hundred years from now, people will look back at us and they will say how primitive they were that they were eating animals. We are primitive. How 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 do you know how how do they do that and how could they not make it faster? I'll, I'll ask you one 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 final question that I that I have and I, and I, we didn't bring this up. So without getting into politics too much because it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really matter. I've always noticed in Israel that you know the 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 business community here, the innovation community, the high-tech ecosystem is so pragmatic and so solutions-driven and so efficient at finding those solutions. And yet we live in a country that is so desperately inefficiently operated. Um, how do you, you know, circle 
what is it? How do you circle that square? I mean, circle what, the square, yeah. How is it that in one country we have such a amazing drive towards innovation, and on the other hand, we seem to when when it comes to our our ability to govern ourselves? Why, why is our governmental so shoemaker walking barefoot? Why, right? And and is it a generational mm. thing? Is it uh, that that people aren't incentivized to go into government? Uh, and you're talking to someone whose sister sat in the Knesset and has written books on right. on these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it should probably be interesting to hear her take uh, too, as someone who who tried. So we'll definitely have to, we'll have to get her on the show. Okay. So um, yeah. So definitely, there's no incentive uh, for top people to enter the system. Um, just there's no incentive, and and even if they wanted, I mean, it's not that uh, I've met people who wanted to uh, make an impact in politics. They make one step, and they immediately understand that, they, and this is not their game. Um, it's not about um, mental capabilities. It's, it's about uh, more about uh, social capabilities, about building coalitions, about making compromises. Um, that's the system. That's the system we operate in. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure there are much better systems that can be imagined and built. But uh, how do you get there? How do you how do you change? The current political system, without uh, you know, disenfranchising people, without uh, risking a collapse. So, yeah, so these are tough questions. Well, you, you know, you see from time to time uh, people who are very successful in the startup world, uh, Naftali Bennett um, and Nir Bakata, two examples of guys who who did fairly well in the, in the high tech world as as managers. Um, I don't know exactly what they did. Erel Margali tried, uh, you know, to be the Knesset. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, where we all say, yeah, we wish these kind of people, you know, people like you, we wish, uh, you know, solutions, pragmatic driven people would, would step into politics. But uh, yeah, the system is just not, uh, is just not friendly to, <laughs> to people like that. You know, I, I, um, I, I don't know, you, you're, you're new to the show, but uh, the past few episodes, we've been doing a lot of UAE related stuff mm. uh, because I, I went out there recently and I'm part of a UAE Israel Business Council and I was um, very pleasantly surprised to see, you know, obviously they don't have democracy or elections there. They have autocrats. But um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised to see that they have a mindset of getting the best and the brightest advisors and solutions and technologies and just, yep, do it, get it, bring it in, let's implement it. And, you know, it's kind of, I'm not saying I wish I wasn't living in a democracy because I think, you know, the grass is always greener or in, in our case, the sand is always browner on the other side. But, uh, but it does make you think about how we organize our societies and our governments when you see it done effectively and efficiently in a different way, you know, especially with all of these uh, problems that we were talking about at the beginning of the show with uh, post-truth and, and fake news and all of these challenges that we have and polarization, to see a model of a country, and it's not the only one, um, you know, uh, of what we might call benevolent autocracies um, that that recognize technological solutions, the best, the fastest, the most pragmatic solutions, and just say, yep, implement it. We don't need to deal with the politics here. We don't need to deal with the interest groups. Um, and it was just a very interesting experience to see that in action, you know, for its, for its pluses and its uh, minuses. Yeah, so I, I don't think and I'm, I don't know if I would choose um, UAE as the best example, but definitely uh, China is a country that's uh, showing a lot of uh, 
efficiency in government. Okay, yeah. The way they treated the COVID, COVID. <laughs> ignoring the fact that they, they're responsible for it. But once it's out there, uh, they, uh, they did an amazing job. Um, oh, it's it's and, no joke. They're back to like, I have colleagues in China. They're back to going to conferences. No one yeah, wears a mask. It's, it's like normal life. Yeah, yeah. They're done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so definitely I think uh, we need to be starting to look into beyond the democracy good, autocracy bad, and starting to think about what is the actual thing we're trying to solve, and that is to make governments that work for the people and mm-hmm. uh, represent them. It's obvious that the current model of democracies in the West is becoming less and less aligned with uh, the interests of the people uh, and more about... Uh, on one hand, aligned with uh, corporate interests and and uh, lobbies, and on the other hand, with aligned with populist stupid ideas. So uh, it's definitely that uh, the Western style democracy is, is becoming less uh, efficient in representing the people uh, and the real interests. Um, and on the other hand, what we used to look at as autocracies like uh, China are definitely constantly improving. I don't know if it's if I could say that today the system of government is better than um, European democracies, but I think it will be there in ten or twenty twenty years. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we talked about how my my worldview was. You know, when we talked about mosquitoes, was inherently Western centric and. You know, my last thought, what can we do? That's the world I grew up in. But um, but you're right. And I think China um, is leading this charge. I think Russia is also trying to do it, but they're just not doing it as well, of, of countries that are trying to challenge the American-led Western liberal democracy market, uh, you know, capitalist economies, and, and provide other solutions to government and to how how we run the world and how we run international systems and it, you know it's it's kind of hard to, to say i don't know how i feel about this um it's kind of hard to say you know what no we have to stick with this model of government because look there's plenty of places right now in the world where what we what we knew in the west is becoming like you said so it's becoming harder and harder to do and we're seeing other models that are that are managing to succeed in this kind of chaotic um, environment um, I don't know if it makes me optimistic or pessimistic, but it's certainly something uh, we might want to explore on this show um, going down the road. Um, and I think certainly something that a lot of political scientists and and others are thinking about. Um, any last questions or any last points? I just want to know where I can sign up for the brain freezing. <laughs> so, yes, look up uh, Nectome. Uh, it's it's uh it's, it's incredible you're you're into a lot of really great things um i i wasn't familiar with uh uh with with your work before i have to be honest but it's 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 really enlightened a lot of a lot of things for me to to see it uh and and it's always great to you know on the one hand it's it's always great to encounter such optimism on the other hand it's always uh you know you, you discover a lot of obstacles that are up in 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 you know, making it difficult to get from point A to point B yeah. and, and what you were, you know, what we started talking about when it comes to COVID and therapeutics and, and how this didn't need to be the way that it is, um, is profoundly on the one hand, uh, I'm happy because I'm, you know, I was early on the vitamin D train. On the other hand, it's, it's just very, very tragic to me that because, um, 
because of economic models and economic reasons, it had to be the way that it is when 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 many 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 serious people uh, advocated for for alternative um, alternative solutions. Uh, and 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 so many of those voices, by the way, were 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 banned or censored or you know weren't given an opportunity to to express themselves because of mainstream thought. Uh, and and here we are. Yeah, well, just to be clear, a lot of people who advocated for uh, alternative solutions uh, had no ground to stand on and were promoting wrong ideas. It's not that uh, it's it's very hard when in this unregulated market of nutrients to to identify the people who who actually know how to do research and know how to analyze large amount of data and come up with uh, uh, solutions with strong biological rationale behind them. Yeah. R- remind us which uh, zinc tablet we should be taking. <laughs> and you have no connection to this company. No connection. No, no. This is the product. So okay. life extension, enhanced zinc lozenge. And th- they're the only one that actually followed the, uh, followed the research and made sure to, to uh, build a lozenge that, that releases uh, zinc ions and doesn't bind them immediately after they're released. Um, and it's funny that there's like no other company in the world that did that. It's like, and, and I've been, we've been taking zinc for years, but you know, the ones yeah. that have that kind of strawberry or orange taste or whatever the, it is. You've been taking the wrong zinc, brother. But you know what? We were on it. I got to have credit for my dad all these years. And, and this is since I was a kid. He's always been a huge proponent of supplements and vitamins and all these kinds of things, anything to keep the doctor away. And I got to say, and, and he's going to listen to this if he's not listening to it right now. On a lot of these things, he, he seemed to have been on the money. We always used to tease him, Dad, you're wasting so much money on vitamins and supplements. Hey, wh- what did you talk about? Elderberry? Right? Elderberry, yes. Elderberry, yeah, echinacea. He's been talking about these for 30 years. So, I'm, I'm so, so echinacea is a, is a, seems to be effective against some uh, common cold viruses, but probably this is not the right uh, solution for this virus. No, no, this... for common colds and for, okay, okay, for okay. keeping yeah. your immune system uh, up. And, and uh, apparently the Bedouin have uh, the Bedouin here in, in the Middle East and Israel have been using elderberry uh, in, oh, yeah? in their in their you know uh, whatever we call it medicines for for generations. It's it's um, a common thing. Um, this has been fascinating. I knew a little bit about the company and I knew a little bit about what you were doing through through some common friends. But uh, I'm glad we got to do a deep dive into this. I'm glad we got to meet you. And uh, anytime. You have a story, a case, um, a new idea that you want to explore on the show. You are invited um, to come back, and uh, and we're happy to give you this platform. Um, Absolutely. And, and we're glad someone like you is trying to take on one of the biggest challenges of our modern society, and that's uh, putting everyone on kind of that same plane of decision-making and you know rational analysis, something that's very sorely missing and very connected to our mission as Jewons of what we're kind of you know, trying to do uh, or play our tiny little part in society. So we're glad to see someone's doing a better job at it. And uh, we wish you a lot of uh, success. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to have this, uh, you know, deep dive intelligence conversation that, you know, it's, it's very hard to have in uh, exactly. over most platforms. It's very good. And uh, yeah, may we all stay healthy and, uh, the amount of times you sneeze during this podcast, and I have oh to mute you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to take some elderberry when I come out. <laughs> if you take a zinc lozenge now, yeah, you're probably going to be okay. 
I'll be fine. Done. We're getting yeah. that zinc tomorrow. But I told you, I have, I have the, I have the BS zinc. I have the the, the orange flavored zinc. I got to go home and throw that in the toilet. I got to. Where, where, drink. where are you now? Where are you located now? In uh, Okay, if you're in Tel Aviv, I'll, I'll give you one. <laughs> I, I have a stock. I'll be, I'll be there uh, later this week. Is this, I'll by the way, is that, is that zinc available in, uh, in, in pharmacies in Israel? Or do I have to no, order? no, you, you need to order it from, uh, from abroad. But it gets here in five days. Not so bad. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I got to do it. I got to get an order and make it happen. So vitamin D and zinc, that's the big takeaways from this. Unbelievable. Sal, Wolf, thank you so much for joining us. Um, founder a great of pleasure. Root Claim and of a whole list of very impressive uh, companies. Um, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insights and uh, hope everyone has a great uh, week and uh, stay healthy. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was great. All right, man. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Fetherman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com. And feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.